Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. is so bitter, folks. It's stuck on the tips of your teeth. You know, that that old question we all have asked once or a while in life. Whose boot am I beneath? This is partly what you're going to hear tonight in the second and first night of the Democrats running for the presidency debating. And I have to ask myself, where's the liberty? In fact, when I look at the Democrats that will be spotlighted tonight, I ask myself, where's the liberty? And when I look at many Republicans, I ask myself, where's the liberty? It's like a competition of petty bigotries and stupidities with a lot at stake, and we are required to pick a side. Which idiocy are you going to back? Or at least what important cause are you going to back? And often forget the cornerstone of this very nation, liberty. But yes, the taste is so bitter, it's stuck on the tips of your teeth, that old inquisition, whose boot am I beneath? So blind to justice, the mob is out to settle the score. Rise up, scream out, protest! More, 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 more stuff! More power! More politics. But did you all forget... Did you forget that the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me? Again, where's the liberty? Yes, tonight. I'm sure we'll hear the Democrats talk about America's big problems. But from the last debate, it seems the problem, according to the men and women running for the presidency for the Democratic nomination, they seem to think... The big war, the big problem in this country is corporate power. And the solution is to give the government more power. Because we are the government. You know, the government's just an institution according to the Democrats. And I'm finding many Republicans these days, whether you love Trump or you're a never-Trumper, a damn dirty never-Trumper. Seems to be the working definition, the layman's definition of government, is just that you know, big club where we get together and we decide what to do collectively and voluntarily. Wrong. Wrong. 
That's not what the government is. The government is fear. The government is force. The government is that place where you can tell people what to do, and if they don't agree with you, you can fine them. And if they don't pay your fine, well, you can arrest them. And if they resist arrest, well, you know what comes. Very rarely does somebody resist the law and resist this government and make it out alive. There are a few occasions people stand up for their rights. But those few occasions are indeed that few. Most people don't want to go through the trouble of fighting on a personal basis and on a personal level of putting their own life and reputation on the line to stand up for what they think is right. It's an ancient trick. So ancient we've got dust-covered moss. The people must do what they must, you know. So deaf to reason, the crowd, the people march to the drum as silver-tongued demagogues stream out, fee-fi-fo-fum, there's, there's the big giant, there's the big monster, there's the big boogeyman we need to fight, whether it's the corporations or China or Russia. And don't get me wrong, all these are serious issues. The United States is facing serious issues. But even when our beloved leaders and representatives touch on these serious issues, they do it in such a ham-handed way. By the way, one of my favorite terms, I just imagine somebody wakes up some morning and goes, what happened to my hands? They're now hams. Anyway. I'm sure the Democrats will promise more free stuff tonight. And by free stuff, they mean other people's money, or OPP. That last P means property. Could mean other things, too. OPP is this beautiful thing. But the government, and the Democrats in particular, are down with OPP. They're down with other people's property and giving it back. And for a party that talks about all the problems of materialism and keeping up with the Joneses and the unholy dollar and money is the root of all evil, they seem to love that money. What do people like Bernie Sanders constantly say? No nation as rich as ours. Nobody should go hungry. Health care is a right. No, health care is a service. Health care is a calling. Health care is an art and a science. It is a service and a good. It is something that requires the labor and the ingenuity and the hard work, the sweat equity to deliver to people. Is our current health care system wonderful, in my opinion? No. Is the government currently working for the vast majority of people in this country? Especially the so-called middle class. Whatever the hell that means. No, it's not. But I can guarantee you, folks, I guarantee it. That giving this government more power 
whether it's from a nationalistic right-wing perspective, and if you think I'm making things up and that nationalist just means being a patriot and loving the country and being on the Team America, you're wrong. We now just had this whole conference of nationalist conservatives who want to give the government more power to solve all sorts of perceived ills and wrongs in the country. Some of them real, but most of them just perceived. And all of them, for the most part, let's say nine out of ten times, are not the province of the federal government and should not be the role of the government in general. Maybe your local government, but in general, it should not be the role of the government to solve these sorts of issues. And so while the Democrats, and this is why I never could be a Democrat, at least they're honest in a way. I mean, they're full of crap, like all political parties are. They are lustful for power, like all political parties are. They, well, they're hypocritical, but that's a virtue for all politicos and politicians and people who follow them. No, but at least the Democrats, despite all these usual forms of dishonesty, they're honest in one way. They're promising you more free stuff. They're promising you to be the champion of the little guy because you're a little guy, you know. You're so without. Don't have any power. So give us, your champions, more power and we'll solve all the world's problems for you. Or now, people on the right, again, these nationalist conservatives with these bleeding hearts of their own, wanting to solve all sorts of problems. And again, I say, where's the liberty? The fear is so timeless, caught in the base of your brain. That old-time religion, remember the good old days. So daft, so daft to freedom. The rabble renders their own chains, and with gilded hope and love, they give quote-unquote, themselves the reins. But don't you know the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me? Where's the liberty? Now, if you really press me on this, if you put a gun to my head, which the government literally will do if you push the matter far enough, I would have to say that I line up more with people on the right. But this new trend on the right doesn't give me hope. Because if I watch the Democrats tonight, I'm going to say, I don't want your free stuff. I think your plans to take on corporate power will end up only empowering certain corporations over others while empowering the government to control all that. So I look at the Democrats and just say, I'd, and also just their whole style. It's a stylistic, aesthetic thing where I, I just can't stand the over-the-top earnest. We're compassionate. We want unity. We want to bring the country together. We want to get back to good norms and aspirations for the... Oh, shove it up your ass. Because I know what you're going to do. You're going to talk this big, wonderful game about how you're going to bring all the American people together and govern based on compassion and love and charity and goodwill. Because, again, the government is just a place where we get together to decide things to do collectively. It's not like people voluntarily on their own without an election can get together and do things. So I look at the Democrats and I say, well, I can't in good faith 
walk with them, not as Democrats. I could walk with them as everyday people. I can walk with them as individual people. I can have conversations with them all day. I'll work on all sorts of projects with people who may call themselves Democrats. But if you're talking about politics explicitly, I can't get along with them. And this is my problem, folks, because I look at that and say, I can't walk with you, not in a political way. And so I turn to the other option. And I say, well, I guess this is my home. But I see a fight breaking out on the right within what is supposedly my political home. And where the Democrats are at least honest about bigger government, more free stuff, more power to the government to crack skulls in the corporate world. I see the Republicans trying to find their way. And on the issue I care about the most, you guessed it, the cornerstone of this nation and the Constitution, liberty, and certainly the cornerstone of the revolution that started this grand experiment we call a nation. I see Republicans constantly... Because I've worked here, what, now, eight years? They talk a great game, especially when Republicans don't have any power. I remember those heady, like, Tea Party days. We care about debts and deficits. We care about the power of the executive branch. We care about people's basic rights and liberties as found in the Bill of Rights. I remember those days. And where the hell is that party gone? Where have we gone? There's been things around the edges. And again, this is why I have to say the right is my political home, where Donald Trump has scaled back the administrative state in some aspects. You know, lower taxes, less regulation, great. But you got to do more than that if you actually want limited government. It's not just cutting taxes and cutting back regulations, because you also need to cut spending at the same time. You also need to protect people's basic liberties and not sacrifice liberty on the altar of security at every turn. Article today that William Barr and Pompeo and I'm sure the rest of the national security state under the Trump administration are pushing to have backdoors into encryption that keeps your data safe. Well, with this big hack at Capital One and the Equifax hack and all sorts of other hacks, do you think it's really intelligent to give the federal government, and thus anybody, a backdoor into your encryption software? No. Not a good idea. But we got to do it for the sake of security. Because bad people use encryption. I mean, what right do you have to any sort of privacy in your persons and effects? Actually, that's the whole point of, say, the Fourth Amendment. Get a warrant. Then I'll give you the key to the encryption password. But here's a... It's a silly example, folks. But it's an example of what I mean what's going on on the right. I'll dumb it down. Or not really dumb it down. Give you a specific one. And I'm not going to touch the President of the United States. I'm not going to touch some of the big names up there in Washington, D.C. on the Republican side of the aisle. Like Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy or even Lindsey Graham. No, there's a new guy in the Senate. 
and I'm growing to uh, dislike him. Growing to dislike him. His name is Josh Hawley. He's a United States senator from Missouri. And though we are facing all these big problems that really do call for more limited government, and you don't have to go as far and as crazy as my libertarian ass, we could fix some of these problems without going into what I would prescribe as the solution. But we are facing big problems. All wars abroad, I hope the president makes good on that. The massive debt and deficits that just keep going up and up and up, no matter the president, no matter the party of the president in power at the time, or where the Congress is. Problems with the health care system, the housing sector, education is falling behind. But the thing that Josh Hawley has decided to care about, at least for this week, but he's been caring about it for a few months now. Well, in one way, he's worried about YouTube's autoplay feature. Because when I fall asleep watching YouTube, I really think to myself when I wake up, oh, I wish somebody at the federal government would stop evil YouTube from showing me cat videos! I didn't want to watch cat videos. I wanted to watch old wrestling videos. And now I have to wake up and because of autoplay, why are all these cats acting like jerks? No, the Missouri senator, Republican, has introduced a bill that would ban the feature called autoplay on YouTube. Which, by the way, I have YouTube on my phone. There's a function on the YouTube app. When you're watching a video and it's not in full screen, you can see what's coming up next. And there's a button right there that says turn autoplay off. But I guess the American people are too stupid or too addicted to, you know, mash that button. But he would ban, say, things like the YouTube autoplay, as well as many other aspects of social media, because it's the big, new, powerful thing. And so, of course, the politicians have to go, let's do something about it. He's trying to fight social media addiction, Josh Hawley is. The bill, which the senator has dubbed the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology, or SMART. Oh, God. The SMART Act would allow, or excuse me, wouldn't allow anything. It would outlaw all sorts of things. Features such as infinite scrolling, because I love it when I'm scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and it just stops. That's real satisfying. It would outlaw things like Snapchat streaks, which encourage users to engage in unbroken communication with friends. Those bastards, how dare you keep talking to your friends? The bill would additionally require social media companies to install time-use dashboards, and it would give the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Health and Human Services the power to regulate other features in the future. And even for Hulley, who has spent his short time thus far in the Senate pushing bills that would give the federal government more power to regulate large tech companies, this is remarkably petty. Like, I expected you to be bad on this issue from the little bit I've seen, Josh Hawley, 
But you've gone to a whole other level of terrible. Truly remarkable. I don't know if I'm angry. I guess I am a little bit. Or impressed. Like, I didn't realize, like, we could go from nincompoopery to asshattery and have the, the nincompoops and the asshats have a baby and name him Josh Hawley with his smart act. You might not be a fan of social media. And I'm at a point in life where I see the ills of it. But there's this thing, again, called turn your phone off. Or, you know, putting it face down. But it seems hard to view this as uh, anything other than a wild misuse of federal power. And far more sweeping powers than the bill would initially let on. Essentially, this senator, and there are others like him, folks, because, again, this is the hot-button topic, and it's also a new technology, a new phenomenon nobody really fully understands, not even the companies themselves creating Facebook and Google and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram. All these companies, they know a lot because they created them, but not even the creators really understand the full externalities of what they've created. This is brand new. So, of course, the government has to step in, Democrats and Republicans alike, and say, well, let's do something about this, even though we don't really understand it at all. Classic government. Respond to the brand new and the little bit scary with fear and force. Again, classic government. But essentially, Hawley's bill would empower federal agencies to regulate any and every design and interface decision made by a social media company in the name of protecting some nebulous concept of public health. Yeah, security's one altar we will sacrifice liberty on, because there are a lot of bad dudes out there, don't you know? But we'll also sacrifice liberty on the altar of public health. Whether it's browbeating CEOs of vaporizer companies or overblowing the threat of pornography. Here's the thing. I'm sure there are people addicted to social media who are engaging in unhealthy behavior. Counterproductive behavior. I'm sure there are people addicted to tobacco, people addicted to alcohol, people addicted to porn. Of all the addictions, we'll talk about one that is done in the shadows. And these addictions are not good for these people's lives. But that's the thing. It's their lives. And if you think I'm just making this callous libertarian argument that well, people should have more personal responsibility or their friends and family should, or you start a nonprofit, should help them in that regard. I partly am making that argument, but I'm also making the argument that these folks prone to addiction and self-destructive behaviors with their own lives aren't the only ones prone to these sorts of self-destructive behaviors. 
but at least they're only affecting their own lives. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol, tobacco, porn, and fast food. Actually seems pretty standard in today's America. Maybe you're addicted to all of those things and you just can't, you can't control yourself. For the most part, it affects you. It might affect others in some ways. I've heard the classic one, again, because once the government steps in to, say, require us to pay for other people's health care, that means the government has to step in again. One government intervention leads to the next government intervention. But here's the point. It's not just that people should take more personal responsibility, whether it's hitting, boop, the YouTube autoplay button off, or, you know, maybe deleting Snapchat from your phone, or, you know, having an actual relationship with a man or woman instead of, you know, pleasuring yourself to images of people pleasuring themselves. It's one thing to be hurting yourself in that way, and possibly your loved ones in your immediate vicinity. But again, the people out there in the United States living their lives in this way aren't the only ones prone to addiction. In fact, I think one of the greatest addictions in this country that affects Democrats who want free stuff, free stuff, free stuff, we're taking on the corporate powers, and blah, 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 you'll hear it tonight in the Democratic debate if you choose to torture yourself watching it. Or you could be a Republican and you're addicted to the same thing. And just as much as the free stuff Democrats, you're addicted so much. And you don't even have to be an elected official. It could be somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm really rooting for that elected official. I voted for that elected official. They really got my back. What Americans are addicted to more than porn, more than alcohol, more than fast food or cigarettes or vaporized tobacco or social media. Americans are addicted to power. In particular, political power over other people's lives. And yet, we rationalize this addiction by saying, we are doing it to ourselves because we are the government. It's just a place where we get together to do things together. We're not forcing people to do anything out of idiocy and fear. No. No, not at all. Give me a break. So yes, all these addictions are bad. Whether, again, it's social media, porn, fast food, blah, 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 blah. Yada, yada, yada. But we're also addicted to power. And you've got to be careful how power is used. It's one thing if a city is looking to use the power of the municipality. It's one thing if a state government and the Alabama legislature decides to do something. It's a whole other thing when you're talking about a nation of 350 million people being controlled by federal political power. And though your heart might ache and break for those dying due to opioid overdoses, or those wasting away their young lives watching pornography or scrolling on Facebook or Instagram while they vape their cotton candy flavored tobacco, 
all those things, though they might be problems, pale in comparison to the problem we have right now in D.C. And this addiction to overwrought, overbearing, petty, stupid, idiotic power. And yet these are the folks that want to frickin' lecture us about the solutions to all our addictions. All of our addictions. I'm sure Josh Hawley isn't a terrible person. And I've kind of tried to get over that, saying that so-and-so is evil. You really got to do something wickedly bad to call you as a person evil. I might say your policy's evil. I might say this is foolish and petty and dumb. But for me to call you evil in particular, well, it takes a hell of a lot. But I think Josh Hawley is all hopped up. He's been huffing that nationalistic idealism. And I don't mean love of country, waving the flag, respecting the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and standing up for your nation, especially in the face of geopolitical threats like Russia and China. I mean this nationalistic idealism on the right and the left. That everything in this world is prone to abuse and failure and corruption except for when we have the government power. Government is corrupt until we are the ones in control of it. Yeah, all those past people failed in their efforts to make the world a better place. I know utopian dreams usually end up in dystopian nightmares or at least one man's utopia is another man's dystopia, but if I'm running the show, if I'm the one proposing the bill, if I'm the one who did the research and I really thought about this, it'll work out. Sounds like an addict to me. Sounds like somebody hopped up on power. Yes, there are a lot of idiots out there, addicted morons. The nincompoopery is strong. But there are a lot of ding-dongs and asshats in D.C. who can't look in their own mirror, their own mirror, and see that their remedies will probably only make things worse. Again, I ask, where's the liberty? Where's the liberty? Because that was the unique thing about this nation, with all its failings and flaws at the beginning, the unique thing that inspired this nation to be better, that continues to inspire people to be better on the right and the left, is a notion of individual liberty. And you got to, whether you're on the right or the left, stop confusing winning an election and more political power and more laws to solve all the problems of the world with liberty. Or are you going to suffocate that liberty and pull the cornerstone out from what is actually the pith of what makes us an exceptional nation? Wake up. And I don't mean woke. I mean actually wake up. The way we solve these problems is by limiting political power.
and looking out for our brothers and sisters if they are failing and if they are addicted. But right now, those brothers and sisters who are failing and who are addicted are those right now hopped up on politics. I'm here to say, it's time to wake up. Joey Clark. I told you, I I just got to get some stuff off my chest. It's Festivus in July. Right at the end of this month. The seventh month of 2019. And yes, tonight, here in about 17 and a half shopping minutes, the Democrats, at least 10 of these yahoos running for president, why anybody wants this job, I don't know. Do they not care for their own lives and well-being? But tonight, you have the first 10 because there are 20 of these people that have uh, qualified. So you have Bernie Sanders. Oh, happy day. You have Elizabeth Warren. You have Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Beto. Good old Francis O'Rourke. Amy Klobuchar, John Hickenlooper, Tim Ryan, congressman from Ohio, John Delaney, another Midwesterner, Marianne Williamson, who wants you to know she's not some new age nut. She's a serious, serious person. And another guy named Bullock. It's amazing to me how governors, it used to be that was the stepping stone. Like you're a governor of a great state, whether it's California or Texas or New York or Florida, and you like have a fast lane, that fast carpool lane right to the White House. No longer. Nobody's paying attention to governors. I think it is a sign, I'm serious in this, it's a sign that our politics has become too national. People don't respect, oh, you did something for your state. Who cares? People want who they've seen on the national media. They don't want to see some governor who might have successfully helped the people in his local community. (laughs) No, no, no. What juicy sound bites has he shared with us? Whose stream, whose narrative has he fit into? That's another thing that keeps bugging me, folks. I am in many ways in the right-wing narrative. I'm right there in the middle of that stream. So when I watch, say, something like CNN or MSNBC, I'm amazed. It's a different world. It's the same facts for the most part, or the same basic plot points and story arcs, but interpreted in such different ways. Reminds me of those old Goosebumps, kids' paperback books where you choose your own journey. 
and people are choosing all these disparate paths. Just a weird world. But I am amazed that uh, these governors, whether it's Hickenlooper or Bullock or Inslee, they're just not getting any traction. Really, the spotlight seems to have fallen on, well, Joseph Robinette Biden. You know, Joe, you're looking a little older, but we're all getting older. And uh, I have to say, number one, your teeth are pearly white. I would love to see them under a black light. I'm sure they shine brighter than the sun. Number two, Joe, uh, your hair... Your hair is so much better than that that Cheeto Mussolini in the White House. Your hair is beautiful. It's that, as white as your teeth. You look regal, stately. Uh, whatever you did, like plastic surgery-wise on your face, you look tight, but not too tight. You're not doing the spray-on tan like, you know, Cheeto face. You're, you're just, you're lovely, Joe. So you go up there, you give it to Camilla. Or, no, she's not on the stage tonight. I'm sorry. You give it to, uh, well, you're not on the stage tonight. Joe. I love you, Joe. Biden, because of his uh, name ID. Again, I wonder, though, for all the people who know the name Joe Biden, do they know his middle name? believe it's Robinette. Am I right about that? Or is that just one of the things I forgot about? What is Joe Biden's full name? Just be with me for a folks. A full name. Having to type with one or two fingers here. Yes, Joe Biden's full name. The man with all this name ID, the former vice president of the United States. His full name is Joseph Rabinette Biden Jr. So not only was that name given once, it was given again. He's a junior. Robinette. That's what I think I'm going to call him. You tell those dastardly Republicans, and especially that orange-faced freak in the White House, to keep his hands off my Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and get me some cigarettes. Tell them the mean people in both parties that I love smoking. So be a doll. Tell them to take, keep my hands off my Medicare, keep my hands off my cigarettes, all right? I love my Virginia Slims, especially the ones that are menthol. Anyway... Joe Biden's still leading the pack. I've got a feeling, though, he's going to keep uh, sinking like a stone. Kamala Harris is hot on his heels. I mean, she she's an attractive woman. And I, I do wonder if my silly theory, it's not a serious theory, folks, just a silly theory, but I think it plays into a serious point about how people actually make these decisions about who to vote for, is the best-looking candidate will win. Man or woman, this isn't some sexist pig thing I'm throwing down, all right? I'm not some sexist cat up here. I'm saying whether it's two men against each other, two women against each other, a man against a woman, the best-looking candidate is usually the one who wins. Think about 2016. Who's better looking? Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Don't think about it too long. Just answer. Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, who's better looking? It's, of course, Donnie. Donnie from New York. Hillary had the weird hunchback, almost like cyborg thing going on. It was uh, crooked. But if, say, Kamala Harris gets the nomination, who's better looking? Donnie from New York or Kamala Harris? I think it's Harris. Maybe that's my hetero, cisgender, straight white male stuff talking there. But, uh, you know, let's hope she doesn't get it. And honestly, though, tonight, looking at these candidates, I think it is an opportunity for Buttigieg to shine. He needs to 
get into the spotlight and take on people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And, well, one guy I hope just falls off the stage, literally and figuratively, is Beto O'Rourke. I can't stand the guy. Honestly, uh, Amy Klobuchar is... I have a good impression of her. I don't agree with her on a lot of stuff, but she seems like, you know, in this weird world of everybody addicted to power, a normal human being. From Minnesota. Announced in the snow, don't you know? Hickenlooper seems a little loopy. I feel bad for Tim Ryan. He's the congressman from Ohio running, kind of as a moderate Democrat. And in many ways, you would think that he would speak more for the larger Democratic Party. I don't know. Marion Williamson has a weird energy to her. She does have a weird... And she's not an idiot. I mean, she believes in some kooky things by my standards, but I've watched some extended interviews with Marianne as much as I've mocked her. She's no idiot. It'd be interesting to see if she gains any traction. But uh, it's just a... It's a weird time, folks. It is a weird time to be... Well, living in this country. May you live in interesting times. Hopefully it's a blessing and not a curse. But I have a feeling it's a curse. So you've got Biden still leading the pack. you got Kamala Harris hot on his heels. You've got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders vying for that uber-progressive slot. You've got Pete Buttigieg with this interesting angle. Young guy, married gay man, a mayor. Though He's had all sorts of problems. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. But at the end of the day, I just look at them and go, I can't, I'm not down with you guys. I'm not saying you're bad people. I'm just saying you're addicted to power. And you're not going to solve all the world's ills. You're probably going to make things worse. Um, Somebody called in. I'm not sure why I didn't even give out the number. Who is this? Uh, I mean, it's Randall. Hey, Randall. Actually, I thought of you earlier today. If I can be deadly serious here. I know I've been all over the place tonight. Frustrated, angry at times, silly at other times, crass. It's just how I am at some days. But I was thinking about you in a serious way. In a call you made the other day. I can't even remember what show. But you're talking about how you wanted to reach out to people who have disagreed on these airwaves, over the phone, or people who might, you know, feel some anger or hurt after talking politics and you want to sit down and have dinner with them and get to know them and help them in a way if you can. And that call and that mentality, and most importantly, not just you saying it, but if you're really taking that to heart, embodying that idea, I think that is actually what saves the country. Somebody asked me the other day, what, what do libertarians, what should they prescribe to the country? I'd say making politics less important in our lives and getting back to individual initiative, responsibility, and looking out for our neighbors. So thank you for saying that the other day. I appreciate Man, it. I, I, I appreciate you. And I mean, it, I mean, if we stay on this subject, I mean, it's, um, I mean, like one Sunday night, me, me and three guys, we ain't never talked about it. just so happened we met up. And, and we, 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 I mean, we went all the way down to, to population control, talking about the water, you know, the price of water in the store. I mean, everything, bam, it was, it was so refreshing. And then, then, but at the same time, Trump was making a tweet that I didn't even know was happening, that they were going to turn, you know, make it sound racist. And then it hit. And the next day, man, it just, when I looked in two of them's eyes, it was, it was you know, <laughs> and they, all the, the clips they kept playing, it was just, I said, look where they stopping his mouth at, you know, and just, 
we, and we, we it took a week. We we were all talked. They, they they two of them are tagged on my page on, on one of my I, and I quit putting my daughter's pictures on there for one reason is I've been wanting to reach out. I ain't put no pictures all summer. I've been gearing up for this, Joy. Yeah. Ain't no change gonna happen in Washington, man. It's gonna happen right here in Montgomery. I, 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 so much love been shown to me. I mean, starting, I mean, whatever show. I'm talking to Dan, and and I, I, I probably won't skip that. Like when Red Talk call, I don't like calling Dan show because he he studies so much, has so many clips. There ain't no sense in. You just admit it. He's but, intimidating. Yes. Okay. Well, either way, I love listening. But you know, Red Talk was talking about how he would never listen to them clips that Dan was playing. I listened to that all weekend just so I could feel the other side. Yeah. Know what they've been told. All they're doing is trying to get these little three second, three to eight second clips that they can cut out, post that you you know you you hit a button, you go right to it. They can spread it on Facebook, social media. It puts the idea in people's heads. Just this like this like we've all been taught. The the, the I mean, in our minds, it's 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 only because we humans and we've been watching reading books before social media, magazine telling how we had to look, what looked good, what didn't, and it was just instilled in us. It, it happened. We didn't even know it happened. It just happened because what we watch, what we fed, what we see on TV, man. And if we could just cut that thing off sometimes. Right. I love that Ben has no TV in his kid room. You don't know how much I, I wish I even thought of that with my kids. And Brandon, to the point you're making here, you know what I think is the biggest, because there's all this talk of bigotry lately, you know. Um, you know what I think is the biggest form of, I'll put it this way, the most pervasive form of bigotry in the country. And I don't mean like the most evil form of bigotry or the most insidious. Um, I mean, are we talking racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, like generational sniping class conflict? I, I think, no, the most pervasive form of bigotry, the most common thing you'll find in this country that leads people to sort of acting like bigots, which, by the way, the definition of bigot is a person who is intolerant of people with different opinions or innate characteristics than their own. The most pervasive form of bigotry in this country is partisanship. And it's almost now worn as like a badge of honor that I have, I'm just incredibly intolerant of the other side because it's a battle. And this is, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is kind of natural. Like, there are two ways to talk to people. You can be collaborative, like you were saying. You sat down with those two gentlemen, and you talked about all sorts of issues. There is a collaborative form of conversation where you're kind of all working together. At least there's a understanding that, though we disagree, we're going to work things out, massage things out, massage away. But then there's another form that is truly a combative form of conversation. And there are different levels to being combative that ends with insults, if not outright violence. But And there's a role for being combative. There's a role for debates and really having it out with somebody if you disagree. But I think right now we're always caught in the combative mode in our politics. And there's never any real chance in public to collaborate, to understand one another. And I don't see any hope as long as we're having this big fight over all this power we're addicted to in D.C. of getting rid of this form of bigotry. It's partisanship. And it's unreal. It's reinforced by the fact that you're living in different worlds. If you watch Fox versus watching MSNBC, people watch those two things all day. Talk about being addicted to social media. How about being addicted to cable news and outrage? In those two different worlds, it just reinforces your worldview. And I'm not. And again, these folks who might be you know caught in these worldviews or caught in on this team or that team, they're not bad people. And if you sit down like you did the other night, you often find good people. 
maybe they have bad ideas in certain ways or they need to rethink things and again massage away but the the combativeness of where we're going and hell you can listen back to the show i just did for 57 minutes i've been combative but my point is i'm up here by myself and i'm pissed off but i'm pissed off because we're not collaborating and it doesn't seem and it's really not Oh, I want to unify the country. It's not this old slogan. It's more, it's, it doesn't seem to be any room for nuance, any room for actually getting to know Randall instead of getting to know the conservative guy who's calling talk, conservative talk radio. Like, you're more than that. I know you're more than that. We've talked about this. And so many other people, whether Democrats or Republicans, are more than that. And we keep losing this crap. And fallen prey to, I think, this pervasive form of bigotry partisanship. I, I just, I, I, exactly what you said. I mean, if if you can get away from them channels and, and just talk to each other. It's, and, and breaking bread is a, a big part of it because it puts something in your mouth so somebody can talk while you chew. You know what I mean? Mm. You can't, it, it's just, and you can't start with 20, you know, 20 or 30 people. Got, you got to start and we got to fill each other out because... Because racism has touched everybody in a different way. I have seen it from the from from. I mean, I've got stories and I want to share them. And that, and that's what's going. That's what's going to change. It's how how people can see it. I mean, my brother's been kicked out of four churches for having you know bringing a little black girl. Hmm. And I, I know a white man. I know a man that moved here now that I've, I've consoled it and took him to shoot pool with people that that granddaddy was killed in, in Jackson, Mississippi by four games, you know, people getting initiated in game. And mm-hmm. all he sees on TV, you know what I mean? It's like I put on it. Yeah. All he thinks is 90% of every black person is a game banger and cheated to get where they're at or either a rapper. And, and it's because it's the TV has told us that, man. And, and now he and he had, he was like, man, take a picture of me. We're down shooting pool. And, and I told this man, his story, I mean, it's, and he's cutting grass for a, a neighbor across the street, a black lady. They sit there swapping food, taking fish or that. Man, yeah. it's, it's working, man. It's, we've got yeah, this now. And, and Miss Rosie, I know right. Miss Rosie is the one who is still this to me. Man, I'm telling you. Oh, she's a woman you. with, uh, truly with God's grace. We're out of time, man. I, I, I want, One day I need to have you in the studio and we can talk about this issue. I think it'd be good for us. I think it'd be good for everybody. There's an old Catholic priest who used to say, if you want to change the world, don't try to run for office, all this stuff. Invite your neighbors over to dinner, just like you said. Um, Randall, thank you. i got to run. Out of time, really. <laughs>